banks are hungry to write business, okay? So what they're looking to do is a lot of competition at the moment. I think they're dropping a bit of their margin to get people back in, right? You need to start off with residential because you don't get hurt by those giant vacancies. If a big economic crash happens, residential is a little bit more protected, but the upside is less. So you can, um, and you need a lot more cash for commercial. Anything individually owned from a lender's perspective needs to be included by the servicing, right? So we try to kind of hide these assets in what we call special purchase vehicles. Are you finding this podcast enjoyable but looking to enhance your commercial education? Well, we've created an innovative online course that offers comprehensive content. With over 50 lessons available on demand, you can delve deeper into the subject matter. Additionally, you will gain exclusive access to the valuable online community where you can connect with industry experts. For more information, please visit rethinkcommercialeducation.com.au. Oh, good day. How you going? So Phil Tarrant here, co-host of Inside Commercial Investing with Rethink Investing, uh, episode 43. Um, I was looking at some numbers the other day just trying to work out growth of um, something in particular in my business and it sort of got me linked back with the disruption that was COVID, looking at how it uh, threw everything on its head, uh, including property and commercial property and is the COVID uh, pandemic over? I think some people would say so. I only see in the papers the other day um, mandating masks back in Perth. So uh, it is not a distant memory, COVID, in many ways. And it's all the ramifications of the COVID pandemic playing out as we speak, mainly around inflation, supply chain problems that still exist. Uh, our relationship with China seems to be improving, so that should help things out on the cost front. Who knows? But it's not an economic podcast. It's a podcast around property investment. Property investment, I know. Well, I know a couple of rich blokes who don't need to get mortgages for property, but most of us humble investors that invest in commercial property, we still need mortgages connected with it. And he who or she who does the finance bit best is he who and she who typically does the best in commercial property investment, particularly in an environment with rising rates. We would all have seen the Reserve Bank of Australia met the first Tuesday of November, hiked up rates again. I've already seen my lenders come out uh, telling me that my interest rates are going up 25 basis points. Uh, you know, one thing you can bet, bet on is uh, lenders moving faster up rates, a um, little bit less on the downwards rate. But today I want to talk about finance, commercial finance um, to support property investing. And that's going to dictate and dominate big thrust of our conversation. I've dragged someone back in the studio that uh, I believe knows a few things about uh, commercial property investing, particularly from a finance point of view. That's Son Pham from Rethink Investing. He joins his colleague, Scott O'Neill, director of uh, the Rethink uh, Enterprise. Uh, gentlemen, how are you going? You well? Good. Very good, mate. Thank you. Very good. Are you the sort of person, Scott, that still needs mortgages when it comes to buying property? Because I saw you in the paper the other day. I saw you in a paper, one of the richest people in Australia under 40 years old. <laughs> just a byproduct, mate, of doing what you love. <laughs> but is that is that good, bad, embarrassing? You wish you weren't there, or you're happy you're there? Like you know, uh, look, I've, I've tried to stay out of the papers when it comes to wealth, mainly because I've got no money, so it's pretty easy for me to do it. But uh, you, on the other hand, sir, uh, look, honestly, I'm numb to it these days. Like I remember our first article went out like a decade ago about like you know number of properties and all that. That felt pretty exposing. Um, and like you notice people judge you differently, like, you know, just your local sort of cohorts and stuff like that. But um, yeah, we're too far gone now. No one 
cares. Uh, you know, if they've judged you, they've judged you a decade ago. If, um, yeah, look, it, it doesn't really do too much other than, um, I don't know, it's, it's just now you don't want to lose money because they're going to measure it each year. So, you know, you got to keep, keep going one direction, hopefully, but yeah, no, it's definitely confronting, but not like it was back in the early days. Yeah. And I guess it's sort of in many ways bearing your soul. And most, most people like to keep finances personal, right? Like you brought up as kids saying, don't talk about fine, don't talk about money with people. And then you end up in a paper with, with, you know, this, this paper wealth is guess you'll call it. Do, do you, do you feel wealthy? Like nothing really changes. Like I guess you get to do stuff that you want to do, but yeah. from what I have seen, you know, irrespective of how much money you make or how wealthy you are, most your life really doesn't change that much at a particular point, does it? No, you're right. But like I've spent most of my life feeling poor as in, you know, some would know this when I've bought properties in the past, we're going to the nearest like 20 grand of wealth, like just to get a big one over the line of property. So like uh, pulling everything you possibly can to, to, to do the next thing. Aggressively yeah. buying. And we've done that for 10 years. And although it's something I probably won't do again, just because the stress of like just making deals, it's, um, there's no point anymore. I'm very glad we did it in the early days. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, you've got to, I've got multiple businesses now. You need to have a lot of fat on the sides for when things go wrong. Like we've got, you know, you know seven-figure salary bills to deal with annually and, you know, it, it's a lot of responsibility. So I've got used to dealing with all that responsibility and the property side's the easy stuff. The business, that's got a lot more fluctuations in it. Um, the rent's the rent. You know, that might change 10% per annum, but business revenue could change 50% per annum if it's a good year or a bad year. So, um, yeah, like all the, all this stuff is, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's good to be sort of conservative now. So that's where we're heading. I guess the upside of doing that is that you've done it. So now you help other people do it. So you've got a healthy appreciation for the balance of risk and reward. Um, you know, did you ever bet the farm? Was there any, at any point in time where you've gone, we're all in here. If this even moves a millimeter left, right, one way, it's, it's, it's all unraveled. Do you ever go that did you ever go that far? Oh, at least five times. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we bought our first house in Sydney, or our first investment was that, we were down to our last grand. Um, my fourth investment, which was a unit block in Port Macquarie, I took a margin loan to cover the deposit. So I was 30 grand short. So that got it over the line. Um, but those decisions make big differences. We paid 710 for that, and it, it was worth $2 million four years later. So like, Thank God I took that 30 grand loan out. And even recently on a, on a couple of purchases, um, yeah, we've just gone a bit tight on it. But now it's sort of, no, we're not going to do that anymore. But, you know, with that sort of list and that, like, we've always about, been about sharing. And that's why, you know, we, you know, when we got asked to sort of submit all our details and you literally got to send them. Um, so what do we ask for, like, because I know a lot of people duck and dive and everything. they go, I don't want to be there because the tax office is going to be on, like. Well. I think one of the good, like there's a lot of, you know what the property industry is like. There's a lot of people that claim they've got this and they don't really have that or they just give themselves valuations. We need to send um, our bank loan details, uh, the the documents. They do their internal valuation. So it's all verified. It's like, um, yeah, it's it's quite exposing. And even if you don't submit it, they'll assume it the next year. That's the problem. Well. Yeah. yeah. So You don't get the choose after a while. It's just for entertainment. So um yeah, it's good though. I'm talking about it. I saw it and I went, oh, you know, I went, yeah, good on you, mate. Like, you know, you guys have 
kind of hard. But but that's the real story behind, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, yeah, of course, you know, he's, he's probably, you know, was born into it. But, you know, you're talking about sort of redlining to, to get ahead and doing it for a decade. Yeah, massive risks, a good market. Like it's been a great 10 years. Like I was only talking to an agent um, the other day where it's the first time Queensland's been in a, had a great decade without a big recession, you know, from a property point of view, like they normally have a big down market. We haven't had that this time. So the market's worked in our favor and it sort of looks like it's still going to keep happening. Like, you know, obviously you do a lot of resi podcasts, like the residential markets are coming out of this massive increased in, you know, interest rate environment, like better than anyone would ever expect, you know, it's because of immigration and cash savings and the res rental market flying. Like it's, it's a really good time to be in property. So these types of decisions were always made with the economy at, you know, in mind. Um, the only time I was ever worried about purchasing was that first one in 2010, because that was just after the GFC. And there was a lot more cloudier skies at the time because the banks didn't look as stable. The American market was tanked. Um, you know, Australia hadn't really tanked yet. So we were waiting for it and it didn't have a good two years. But, no, it didn't. Well, that's yeah. when I started investing and, you know, it was counter-cyclical, but yeah. it was the right thing to do so at when, the right when time. when did you purchase your first? I'm going to say about 2010, 2011, maybe, maybe really early 2011. Maybe I come in 2010. I should know. But, yeah, um, but that's sort of when most of like, you know, your network and the people we talk to, everyone started around that, um, you know, just after the GFC and and since then a lot more marketing's gone out. So there's a lot more investment activity. So that all helps too, because there's more investors than there ever was. And, you know, maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but they're not building enough houses and Australia's just a great place to do business, I think. It is a great place to do a bit. You know, I, I don't know if it's a congratulations, but it's good to see you there doing things well. I know a lot of it is sort of tied up with um with Rethink, which is which is an expanding network of integrated businesses. Don't worry, I'm not reading from a, a sheet or anything. And that's that's my view. But you do um you've got like uh you've got the Rethink uh investing, which is the buyer's agent side mainly commercial orientated. You've got your education side of things, you've got your legal side of things. Um, you also got your financing part of the thing, rethink financing, which which Son is the custodian of. So is Son your mortgage broker or has been your mortgage broker? Yeah. So he, so he knows everything. Yeah. He knows where the bodies are buried. He knows about all these <laughs> moments. And I think I mentioned last time, um, I, I literally have called this guy at 10.30 at night thinking I've lost a deposit because we're coming in short. Like this is years ago. But uh, yeah, he's been a almost a psychologist to us at some point. Um, his financial um, planning background, which is why I liked, and he's very conservative and I've been the aggressive one with investing. He's like, but he always gives you that opening, you know, yeah, you can do it. That's all I need. He seems like a bit of a, yeah, we'll work out a way type of guy, which yeah. is what you want from your mortgage broker rather than a, a handbrake sort of merchant who's always sort of going, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it. But you need to have a a, a conservative outlook, but with a, a an outcome orientated sort of perspective. Is so. How did, I know I've asked you this before, but for the benefit of the listeners, how, how did you find Son? What's the backstory with you guys? Maybe better coming from you, Son. I actually found Scott. Oh, so in my own business as a planner, I was doing. I won't hold being a financial planner against you, but you've seen it right. No, <laughs> so I like financial planners. I've seen it all. Yeah. Um. So. I was in my own business. I did mortgage breaking on the side, but it was more to support my existing clientele. I was looking for someone to do property or refer business on and myself personally. Um, so I looked around, I found Scott and I read his story and I was very intrigued by his story. So 
you know, brought him over and came over to my house early days and um, I started to buy stuff. Did you, did you wine and dine him? Did you sort of no, put on a really. big fair? And, <laughs> no, no. Kids no. were running around. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So it was, that's how I started. I was actually a client of Scott's. Yeah. Uh, we did many deals uh, for myself um, by Scott and then just over time we kind of just bounced, you know, some clients back and forth um, and then, yeah, Scott one day just wanted to do something together and so, I was say, who said the who? Hey, we should create a financing arm for anything to come from Scott. Was it come from you? Scott well, actually. It depends on the story on any given day. <laughs> Scott actually started it. Uh, and then I, I came on board later to kind of run it. So, yeah. So, we fixed it. We had a, a broker that was just too new to the industry and it just didn't work out. And we were like, uh, what do we do? And Som was the, again, the guy that I was dealing with a lot on other properties and, he got the commercial piece. So, yeah, like I was actually surprised he was ready to kind of drop what he had, uh, you know, elsewhere. So the rest is history. And this this business is um, – I'm quite excited for Rethink Financing like in 2024 because um, it's it's kind of like the dark horse of the, you know, group of companies. Like Rethink Investing is the one everyone talks about. But financing is dealing with like more and more clients because they're good at what they do. We're, they're Like they're a specialist in commercial broking. And as you know, there's not – many people that represent this side of the fence so we're um yeah there's a big focus to kind of grow that team and yeah it, one day it might be quite a bit larger than rethink investing well you know never know what happens and um to my earlier point uh, financing is critical other than those people that pay with cash and we've spoken about this before and there is sort of family officers around who are just throwing i think you've used some silly money at, at, at deals just to, to park some cash in commercial assets and getting pretty low yields most people i know still got debt against uh, their commercial properties so your mortgage broker is critical i want to sort of get an understanding from you son about how you're going to sort of grow the business moving forward and what's going on but mate tell me about the market right now because um i, I like to keep my finger sort of pretty sort of uh, much on the pulse when it comes to commercial financing and and i'm hearing stuff like lenders coming out saying you know, no deposit, you know, just got to stump up the the, the stamp duty and, and you're into a, a commercial property. St. George, I believe, or Westpac, I can't remember who the lender was, Westpac Group. Mm. Um, is this true and is it good? Okay, so it is true. Um, so what, and, and you know, this is what's really interesting, right? The market, as we all know, interest rates went up last week. Uh, it was three weeks before that. We, everyone was thinking it's on hold until the the, uh, the inflation data came out. And then because of that, everyone's like, ooh, okay, you know, it looks like we're going to have a rate rise because the RBA just wants to still slow things down. Inflation's still quite high. They need to get down to the 2 3%. So anyways, because of that, you know, interest rates going up and you'd think that everyone in the market's like, oh, you know, like let's just not invest, right? But the funny thing is the banks have made all this net profit, right? You've, you've seen all the reports, you know, massive record net profit, right? Yeah. And so, so... Sorry, two people make money out of interest rate rises. Number one, the banks. Number two, Australia Post. Because they've got to send letters out to everyone. They love a rate rise. That's but right. anyway, I digress. <laughs> so, so the interesting profit, thing so. is, you know, they have slowed down in terms of volume of deals coming in, right? But banks are hungry to write business, okay? So what they're looking to do is a lot of competition at the moment. They're dropping their pants for, you know... I think they're dropping a bit of their margin to get people back in, right? So talking about the Westpac Group, yes, they've offered this 100% borrowing for a commercial property. It's not for everyone. It's for self-employed people. It is a full doc essentially, 
So you would still have to go through the whole process. You've got to show full serviceability. Full serviceability. So those people who couldn't really service on, call it 65, 70% LVR, it's still not going to work for them, right? So they're trying to tap into other pieces of the market where the clients are strong and we're going to offer, you know, 100%. So yes, that's one. We've had another major who came out in the market around September, August, September with their lease stock product. And it was amazing because, you know, there's no stab fee, there's no valve fee, they're covering up to $2,000. Um, you know, uh, there's no buffering on that rate. So it was just the rate, you know, times the interest cover, right, ratio. So that all of a sudden for them, they went gangers, right? So we speak to, you know. Um, which which know, land is this? That's ANZ. Okay. Okay, so ANZ came to the market August, September and release their lease stock product. They increase their limit from one mil to 1.5. And the Westpac one is also as a lease stock. Uh, lease stock, not for a hundred percent, right? So they've always had a lease stock, 65, they got up to five mil. Um, but, you know, Westpac has a buffer. They used to have a larger buffer, which they've decreased. Um, so what we're seeing is a lot of competition. Uh, another major bank just called me the other day and said, hey, we're offering this rate six and a half. Um, I don't usually like to quote rates. Six point five percent. Yeah, and pre that's, that's pre, pre rate, rate rise. rise. No, including rate rise. Six point five on a commercial, which is actually cheaper than a resi, mm. right? Investment loan. Okay, so I was just gobsmacked. So that's that's an offer. And I know that's February. effective middle of November when we're recording this. But anyway. yeah, so I, I did say, is that including most recent rate rise? And they said, yeah. So, you know, what we're seeing is, and this lender was typically already at 7.2 before rate rise, right, on this product that they've got. So what we're seeing is across the market, all the lenders are aware of the competition, right? I get calls from, you know, lenders, what is that one doing? And I like to tell them because I want them to know so they can come out with something. So you're personally dual, driving competition with the major I lenders. Of yes. That's you're the guy. I'm, I'm it. I, I've had. <laughs> Everyone uh, knows about it now on the. Well, that's it. <laughs> so, inside commercial property. Yeah. we. It's great because I love it. I, I throw it at each other, uh, the bank, so they can, you know, do something about it, you know, and it's keeping things alive. It's keeping things going. Um, you know, are you a half glass empty sort of person or a half glass full sort of person, right? So we want to keep that conversation going that, hey, it's not as bad as what you think it is. Um, so we're not driven by rate. Typically, we want to make sure that, look, if the asset that Scott's put in front of you is a good asset, you need to get it, right? So let's just try to get it done. But at the same time, with these rates, you know, kind of coming down a little bit as an offer, it's fantastic. Was that an indication, do you think, that we sort of are at that terminal rate? Because, But it's a variable rate, so they can jack that up at any time that they want. They, they can do it out of cycle, and this is what a lot of people don't understand. A bank tomorrow can go, oh, you're putting your rate up by a percent. You go, well, you can't do that because the interest rate, the RBA hasn't raised rates. They'll just go, yeah, we don't care. Yeah, 100%. They can and do that. They can do it. They can do that, but if they did that, there would be massive backlash. There would be. The big clients would be like, get me out of this. Yeah, and know? then they'll lose all the transactional banking and all that sort of stuff. So there's just the, the ecosystem would typically balance it. But just talk about this for a moment. So um, these these sort of offers, the, the Westpac Group one is up to $1.5 million purchase price. So if you don't have a deposit, but you can pay stamp duty, what's stamp duty in 1.5 million bucks in... Brisbane, for example, yeah, thereabouts. Yeah, I'll let you work that number out. But um, yeah. So if you got 
some ready. So you've got 60K and you can pay a bit of legals and all that sort of stuff, but you don't have a deposit. You can borrow 100% of a purchase of a, up to 1.5 million bucks. Technically, you can go 105. You can go, so you can actually go 105, so all the incidentals as well. So that sounds really, really good. And if you've got the serviceability, you can pay the the, the interest. We can do, is it interest only or principal interest? Uh, it's typically interest only. Interest only. Yeah. So, so they're just giving you the cash and they can get interest back on it. Can, can I, the reason why they can go so aggressive yeah. is because this is why I have to be self-employed, right? Because there's a trading entity behind it and that trading entity, if it's strong, right, and that's why they're lending you 105, is because they're taking guarantees from your business. Oh, so they take a guarantee on the business. Correct. Okay, because your business is helping Director's services. guarantee or are they securing Correct. it Director's against Director's guarantee the... and an actual GSA, so general security agreement against the business. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So if you go, no, 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 you're not getting your hands on my business, so I'm happy yeah. to pay it. They're not going to give it to you. No, yeah, okay. Yeah. So this is the issue with most for SMEs is that, you know, if you want any lending from the bank, whether it's a an overdraft facility, they're going to go, they want security, right? And uh, you go, well, well no, nah, get stuffed. I'm not giving you security That's against right. anything. And they'll go, well, no, no money for you. Mr. So Harry. on that point, we have another lender who doesn't take GSAs up to five mil, right? Even if you are providing trading entities. At 100% finance. Not 100% finance though, right? Can even go up to 75, right? This is not a major, this is a tier two, right? What's exciting is, this is what I mean. Like there's just a lot of competition. They all want to play in that space because they do see that it is good market, right? This particular product, again, only for self-employed. If you're PAYG, I cannot do it for you, right? But the right client, good income, the income, majority of the income does come from the business, not the investment, right? They can do it. No GSAs, set and forget in some cases as well, and the LVRs can be quite high. See, what I reckon, Scott, the bank should be doing is, is giving me and you a call saying, guys, we want to take you out for a fancy lunch. You guys have probably created more commercial property investors than any other single factor in Australia in the last three years. Still waiting. No thanks whatsoever. No thanks. We're, we're helping to create this this market, this competition. And and I'll say that in jest, obviously, but so many more people talk to me about commercial property now. Like, I, I think we have genuinely shaped a lot of people's attitudes towards commercial property. I can't name names, but we've had, we like, a joke, but we've actually had a few um, second-tier banks come to us and they sort of want to introduce us to their clients that are dealing with um, basically loan books that haven't been deployed yet. So there's a lot of people kind of waiting on the sidelines. So yeah, like they're literally trying to partner with us to work with sort of subsectors of their um, of their branch. So yeah, look, it, the banks, like Son said, they're going through a lot of aggressive, uh, you know, market share at the moment because, you know, maybe what you're hinting, maybe we are at the terminal rate, um, you know. And this is a conversation I'm having weekly with clients where just basically, you know, it's not great with the cash flow right now. You know, you're talking six and a half, seven percent rates and, you know, you're probably going to get the same out of the yield. Um, but that yield wasn't that high six months ago. And if the interest rates do end up dropping like they're scheduled to, all the banks are predicting it. Um, I don't know what the latest uh, first drop date is, but um, it's a theme that will eventuate. And that's when we've all made a lot of equity. So you've got to buy in and just kind of get by and just wait. It's just like planting the seed and you're not going to get instant um, gratification out of the, the cash flow. You will on the cash deposit you put in. So if you're putting 35% cash, you effectively make 7% on that and, you know, the rest of the debt cancels itself out. I guess that's a good point. But, um, and I've got to chat to you about this. We've spoken about it through this this cycle of rate rises from, from May of last year where um, 
positive cash flow commercial properties, have, that, that cash flow has been eroded as we've gone up 4.25%. Did I get that right, Solon, over the period? I don't know, I can't remember. It's about that number. Um, uh, I was only looking at my, uh, and, and the reason why I purchased um, a commercial property through you, which was, was that last year, year before? Year and half. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, it was a while. Yeah. yeah, but for the purpose of doing that was that it gave us something tangible to talk about, right? Um, and, and I'm having a chat about this particular asset that that I secured via Rethink. You can go and tune into the podcast. We did a number of podcasts on it probably about um, a year and a half or so ago. And and people listened to it. I was, I was speaking to a guy on, on the um, – on the weekend, he said, oh, yeah, you were looking at those three different places. There was a cold storage place in Brisbane. There was a place over He like, actually genuinely listened to it. And he's going, should I be investing in commercial property? Like, I don't know. Listen to the podcast, but Scott. But um, I did numbers, and I think I've just tipped into negative territory on on that commercial. Yeah, because you're in your super fund. Yeah. Like, what are the current rates on for super I'm high fund? sevens. Yeah. Yeah. What, what LVO are you? Did you go in there? 70. 70, 70? yeah. 70, yeah. So it is high sevens. High, it's yeah. just it's just tipped over. So it, it's not putting any money into my super fund anymore. It's taking it away. Yeah, just remember like, to a to a tune of like hundreds yeah, of dollars for sure. Yeah. Well, I think that, and this is one of the things we tried to address in this book that we recently um, wrote. Like the main source of wealth through commercial properties through the capital growth. It's this giant myth that's somehow propagated through the market. That people still say that though. And they'll do it until I die, no doubt. Like, but like, you know, it's it's about the growth. Like, you've got a leveraged asset that's backed by supplied, you know, demand constraints. Um, it's just got better cash flow, so it's kind of a bit of a default move to think, oh, you're getting more of a win there. You must be getting punished somewhere else. You get punished by the risk. That's the why the you know yields are higher. Like, if you buy a dud and it goes vacant. You know, that's where it'll really hurt and break people. Um, residential, you don't really have that, uh, but you get punished on the yield. The yield's, you know, damn right embarrassing and, you know, residential at the moment. But, you know, like I always say, you need to start off with residential because you don't get hurt by those giant vacancies. If a big economic crash happens, residential's a little bit more protected, but the upside is less. So you can, um, and you need a lot more cash for commercial. And the more you spend, the better it gets too. So some of the entry-level stuff is not fantastic, very hard to find, um, but you start getting into the, you know, one, two, and $3 million price points, and it's literally gold. You know, this is the stuff that has the giant upside, the growth. And, um, and yeah, so, you know, that, that negative cash flow situation that's temporary, you know, there's going to be a drop at some point in the next 12 months. That rent, I, I still remember your asset. It's massively under-rented. You almost want your tenant to leave deal with a vacancy and then you'll probably get 20, 30% upside in the rent. The equation's fixed. But we price that into the purchase price, right? We, we took a discount on the way in on rent and therefore sort of got a, yeah. we shaved the, the purchase price. I can't remember to what, to what. We'll have to go and tune into that. But um, he certainly sings the uh, the benefits of commercial property any, any chance, isn't he? You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, the cash flow might be a little bit. It's only it's a moment in time and, you know, this and the other. But, uh, you know, the, the the point I wanted to make, Scott, and you you raise it there in that uh, when you get into the, it's it's hard talking about commercial property as as premium blue chip, right? Premium blue chip commercial property is like office towers and massive industrial estates. So we're we're talking about um, uh, more affordable commercial property. So non institutional commercial property is what we're talking about here. And, and you said once you get above the million bucks or two or three million dollars is where the, the 
the more expensive the asset slash better the asset, the better the outcome will be from a cash flow point of view. So if you have lenders coming out playing in this sort of up to 1.5 million for 105% lending, um, you're not buying commercial assets in the Sydney CBD for that sort of dough. Uh, you're going to have to go chase that elsewhere because you just can't get the quality in some capital cities in the East Coast that you would expect to get capped at $1.5 billion. Fair point? Uh, to a degree. The only, I guess, thing I'd throw in there, it's size of the property. So you can actually buy these things in Sydney. That's going to be a smaller version. Like you take your million dollars up to Brisbane, you get twice the floor space, maybe a bigger, better tenant as a result. Um, but the yields are still quite low in Sydney. There's a very big cash um, you know, following of buyers still out there. Like we are mostly competing against just individuals cashed up. Their owner occupy market's quite strong, but um, but yield is the weakness in that price point. Like sub one point five, you know, it's it's pretty tough to uh, you know beat your interest rate at the moment. Yeah, and that's what it's about beating your interest rate, so you can hold on for the capital growth. Yeah, but remember, like if you are putting thirty percent cash in, like it needs to get to about nine percent interest to to start kind of going overall negative if mm. it's a triple net lease. What's triple net lease? Net of land tax management and all standard outgoings. Yeah. So it means that you're not paying for nothing. Just your except interest. Your interest yep. Which is what you want. Yep. So I just want to clarify that. But what are you seeing in the market? Um, you know, we sort of composition competition wise and the policies coming out. So there is a degree of innovation and the fact that they're pretty sharp on rates competitive with, with residential lending, it would indicate that the banks are number one, confident about commercial property, number two, confident about the Australian economy and three, confident about the business environment despite the headwinds. Correct. There's lots going on. Why are they so confident? What um, what do banks know that we don't know? It's all the data, everything okay. they see. So so a couple of weeks ago we, we were, I went to a conference and we had a economist talking and it was talking about all the numbers and the data that's out there. So you know biz conditions are still very good. Uh, a lot of Australians post COVID still have a lot of money in their accounts and that's why it's probably It's know, the offset thing. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's causing, you know, if high inflation people are still spending, you just got people on fixed rates. Um, so, but at the same time, you know, they do feel that we are at peak, right? So, so again, before the whole three weeks before they rate rise, um, the consensus was that rates were going to come down in 2024. When? Not sure in that year, but sometime in that year, they've all pushed their forecasting out now, probably 2025, maybe the earliest, the end of 2024, we'll start having a rate decrease because, you know, they do say that it takes about 12 to 18 months before we really start feeling those rate adjustments, right? And so I think, you know, I think that they've jumped a little too early. I wanted to see them hold it just a bit more just to see, you know, how it's going to go for the next quarter or so. Um, but anyways, I'm not the RBA. They've done it. But yeah, this is the reason why they've loosened policy a bit too because it's at peak. They want to keep the business activity going. The lenders want to make some money, make some profit, understand, um, but there's a lot of conditions out there that are that are just showing that it's not as bad as we see. Um, don't quote me, but it's it's about a third of Australians hold a mortgage. Right? I don't know the exact percent. Yeah, so you know, only a third is really getting hit. There was an interest, interesting graph that the Economist showed us, um, and where they showed the most hurt was in living expense. I mean, I went to buy milk the other day. You know, A two was like five dollars. I remember it was five dollars before COVID. It was almost $7 and it's been, you know, well, that's like 40 something percent, right? It's huge. So I'm just like, what? You know, like it's, it's, everything's gone up, right? Um, so that's where most of the hurt is. So we really need to just get things back to normal 
Um, you got the war going on. Supply chains are still saying is an issue. So it's really interesting times. It's it's not normal. Um, but what's also not normal is the fact that, yeah, we've got high interest rates, but everyone's still got so much money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I know Westpac had some numbers like 56, probably got the number wrong, billion dollars in money still in offsets accounts for, for Westpac. Like it's a lot of dough out there. So Australians and, and the sentiment prior to the last rate rise was, yeah, that could probably, Australians should be able to absorb another rate rise. But hopefully this will knock it on its head. Um, and when you look at sort of business conditions uh, intrinsically connected with with exporting, and I think one in four dollars uh, export dollars goes to China, and I know it's sort of just geopolitically for the moment, um, uh, a warming, if you can call it, relationship between America and uh, and China as a result of Biden's discussions with with um, um, Chinese leadership recently. That was all says, okay, period of stability hopefully ahead of us. We've just had our Prime Minister uh, meeting with uh, Chinese leadership and again reaffirmed a trading relationship. So all those things are good, right? You know, we want peace and stability in our region. Helps us as commercial property investors because commercial property investors is directly connected in with the business sentiment and business community. It's all connected and, and everything's interconnected. You talk about banks wanting to drive business and competition. Well, most of us in some capacity, whether direct or through our SMSFs or via our retail and industry funds, uh, uh, are shareholders of the bank. So we want them to perform well. So and it all comes back to the economy and the economy being, in many ways, driven by property. And they love self-employed because, again, when you look at the data, majority of self-employed people have a lower delinquency rate. Yeah. On the, on the a bit more responsible with their data. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also self-employed, you can deploy certain strategies one is like ato tax right some people even their accountants say don't pay your tax bill just go on a payment plan just pay it slowly whatever so that's a form of cash flow um i wouldn't recommend that I'd not pay, we don't recommend it pay either. tax pay your tax when it's due that's right but lenders, guess, lenders prefer it because that's that, true yeah <laughs> lenders want you to pay it if they want yeah. if you want borrowings you got to do it yeah but what i'm trying to say is look if you do get into a spot of trouble with business you can deploy stuff like that right um, and you do have your low docs, right, in being self-employed. So being self-employed has a bit more flexibility, um, but it's just purely stats, right? PAYG have more delinquency, more defaults compared to self-employed, and, and that's just what they go off, and that's why they're happy to do 105%. Yeah, maybe we should do a podcast on um, maximizing your borrowing capacity as a, a commercial investor. Um, because there's a lot of things like st structure-wise, you know, there's a lot of things you can do to, you just spoke about some tactics there you can deploy um, to, to to give you serviceability because if you can service the debt, the bank will give you 105%. Yeah, and I've seen that tax. I've seen my clients do that because you can delay business tax by three years. I think the current interest rate on that is 10%. So you can push a, it, it's a slippery slope because then you owe in the bank and then the ATO and yeah, you don't want to get into that. But, but if you need twenty grand to to buy an asset that goes up to two million bucks from whatever you paid for it in three years' time, that's probably not a bad return on the ten percent. <laughs> not that <laughs> we're offering advice at all. Yeah. This is just a couple of interested blokes talking about property investment. Speak to a trained professional when it comes to that sort of stuff, which would be your accountant and or your financial planner or your mortgage broker. Financial planning. Are you happy out of that? Are you in the mortgage broking or do you miss it? I miss the conversations mm. because uh, you talk about everything. Uh, lending, I just talk about lending. Yeah, but you know, with all the regulatory changes, it was pretty tough. Yeah. Um. So, like, it's starting to change a little bit, from what I understand. And super funds are going to start getting into 
financial advice moving forward, which is crazy. The, the, there's a whole bunch of, for, for, for listeners that aren't really familiar with it, there's um, a whole bunch of reforms underway right now. And one of the recommendations, well, the idea is that they want to get financial advice in the hands of more Australians, and it's pretty limited right now for the wealthy, which is a shame. Um, my, my personal view is that what Australians need is financial education first, and then financial education should turn into advice for people that require it. And um, in, in our own little small way, myself and Scott doing this, we're sort of contributing to the financial education side of things. You do that in your own business. But um, yeah, super funds getting into to limited advice. Mm, I don't know about that. You know, yeah, it's tricky. stop this statement of advice requirements for financial advisors, I think would be a better way to get more advice in the hands of more Australians. So, a lot of red tape. A um, lot. And that's why it's cost, it's pushed the cost, you know, to serve up. Um, and it, it's unfortunate, you know, yes, the, the majority of people that need advice should be in everyday Australians who need it. Uh, but unfortunately, the cost is high because of all the red tape and regulatory things that the planners have to do. Um, but yeah, look, I, I'm glad that I kind of left it. I was kind of lucky I had this, right, um, sort of pulling me into it. And then, yeah, when I decided to, you know what, leave it and do this full time, it's been great. You know, I, I would argue, though, uh, having that as a trade, financial advice, and a discipline of, of being a financial advisor would be a huge enabler when it comes to debt structuring. Um, and, and understanding the ramifications of budgeting and diversification of assets and, you know, leveraging one assets to do the other. You know, if 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 your mortgage broker is a financial advisor by background, you're probably in the right camp. Yeah. So sometimes I would, you know, it's still, I've got that in me, ingrained in me. When I look at something, I'd be like, probably shouldn't be doing this. You know, like, I don't think you're in a position to do it. Um, the other mortgage broker just might, yeah, I'll get you the loan, you know, but I'm fortunate that I don't need to do that. But you have requirements, though, um, as yeah, a mortgage broker around best, um, interest best interest duties, which yep. means that you need to operate in the best interest of the client. And you've got, uh, what's the other one called? Best interest duty and in, I can't remember. I should know, mortgage broking. But, um, so what are you seeing from your clients at the moment? Any sort of anything standing out from you of, of clients who are really doing some smart deals um, um, in terms of mortgages? Look, it's all... The ones that can keep going are the ones that structure it right. Okay. So yeah, anything individually owned, again, not advice, but anything individually owned from a lender's perspective needs to be included by the servicing. All right. So we try to kind of hide these assets in what we call special purchase vehicles. All right. So if it's in that, we can get a council letter later on saying, you know, this entity can do its own thing without any input from the guarantor. We can technically ignore it. Right. And then that's how we keep building a bigger portfolio. So that's what we're trying to deploy with a lot of our stuff. And the good clients, the savvy ones are doing that. Um, just always having a good credit file as well. Um, no adverse credit files. Um, and just having some buffers, right? You always got to have buffers. Um, we, we like to start off with resi sort of portfolio, make sure that it's doing its thing. And then before we jump into commercial, I've had a few clients who got nothing want to jump straight into commercial, commercial, a big one. And we're like, you know, that's a single tenant. Like, you know, if you lose that one, you're up for this much repayment per month. Can you handle that? Oh, no. Right. So maybe you're better off doing a couple of resis first, whatever, or a smaller commercial to multiple. So you've got multiple, um, you know, income streams in case one does go vacant. So, you know, we work closely with Scott and the team to, to nut that out when a client comes through. So we like to look at the financials situation and, and do a bit of a map, say, 
is this the right way? What about this structure? We speak sometimes with their accountants because accountants chime in, give the advice, do individual, whatever. I'll say, yeah, you can do individual. That's fine. I like to argue a little bit sometimes with accountants because, you know, they don't see the lending side of things. They only see the tax side of things, which, which I understand that's their job. So I'll say, yes, you're putting it in this structure for this, for the tax reason. I want you to put it over here for this reason. Right. And then we kind of discuss. It's always fun watching a broker and accountant and their buyer's agent. (laughs) It's like a joke, you know, an accountant, a buyer's agent and a mortgage broker walk into a pub, you know. <laughs> I'm sure there's a good joke. But it's a good point. But um, structure is key. And for those people who who I've seen build strong portfolios, whether it's resi, whether it's commercial, whether it's a, a mixture thereof, what you're talking about there is is where you park your assets into different structures. And if you put it into some sort of special purpose vehicles, it might be a trust or otherwise, and, and that standalone is positively geared, lenders will often go, oh, don't need to worry about that. Don't need to worry about that. Don't worry about that. Let me, what stuff do I need to worry about, which is incumbent on this person's ability to manufacture money as an individual, whether it's in business or otherwise. Um, that's how you can maximize your borrowing. And again, we should probably do a big, big, um, big session on that. But um, any sort of major tips you see, is, I don't know if you see it. Um, if you're going to have a good relationship with your mortgage broker, you've got to be honest with your mortgage broker. So you got to sort of, you know, get naked. Essentially, it's probably a good, good term of phrase. Um, they need to know everything about you in terms of how much money you make, where you spend your money, and and what your asset base is in order to do the best job they can for you. Do you do you often see people deliberately trying to sort of fiddle things so it's hide things from you that you don't know? Um, you know whether that's just unethical or it verges to the to this point of fraud. You know you have responsibilities to not be a a conduit of of, mm. of fraudulent activity. Do you see it? Yeah, yeah. So, so the interesting thing is, you know, with all the interest rate rises, um, <clears throat> there is a lot of fraud happening. Um, you know, people are trying to fake documents. Um, is it fraud? Fraud is just like, oh, that's just I strategically forget about that. No, no, it's fraud. Like deliberate, deliberate. Yeah. Right? So criminal fraud. Yeah, we've yeah. heard, we've heard, you know, brokers doing fake documents. We've the heard, brokers do like. Yeah. yeah, we've we've heard clients doing fake documents. It all gets fished out somehow. Data matching now is so good. Yeah. uh, You know, the banks look at everything, right? And they question everything. So an example would be, uh, you know, um, you provide salary credits, three months, uh, and the client said they've been working there for a year, right? They've given three months salary credits and two two pay slips. All the bank needs to do is look back three months before that three months that were given. Well, where's, where's the income coming in? And straight away they start looking into it and then you screw it, right? So instead of asking for three months now, they might start asking for six months bank statement, right? So, so if they smell a rat and they identify one area of incorrect, deliberate incorrect information, do they just can it straight away or they, do they allow people to justify it or they just go, They no, investigate yeah. and they bring you in as a please explain, right? So brokers get pulled in and you got to explain what's going on. Um, you know, compliance-wise, we – our aggregator, we, we have to do employment verification. So we call the employer, make sure. You do it yourself, do you? We do it ourselves. And, and, and so we have an obligation. So so the way mortgage broken work for people is to understand is that banks don't have the direct relationship with each individual broker. They have it via a mortgage aggregator, which essentially um, uh, form part of a, a, a broker's compliance and access capabilities. Who, who do you? Who do you we we go through Outsource Financial. Outsource Financial. So Tanya Sale. Yes. Tanya's excellent. Um, yes. She's got a, a very good growing business, mm. uh, Outsource Financial. So so essentially, I don't know how many brokers inside of Outsource. Ooh, it's where? big. I was at the airport the other day and I was like, how many? It's yeah. like 
So, so we're not the largest. We have grown. We were a boutique. Mm. Um, we're still not the largest, but yeah, we've we've grown a lot since then. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know the exact number. Is it, there was a lot. I, I can't. I remember going how many. Like, yeah. and I went, yeah, that puts you into the, you know, mm. the, some of the some of the top agrarian business. So essentially, you 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 you're part of that that network Correct. of mortgage brokers that give you all these capabilities, which yeah. is really good. Yeah. So it's so, so, been great. So the expectations good. that on you to do your job properly 100%. and thoroughly. And and the message here is that if you're tuning into this and you think you can try and fill all the books mm. um, uh, and, and you're dealing with your mortgage broker, don't compromise your mortgage broker in that way. That's not cool. Yeah. So, your mortgage so broker is going to do the too, job. Like I do, I want to know everything, right? Maybe I'm just a bit nosy or because of my financial planning background, right? The more you can tell me, the better I can work something out for you. I know which lenders and policies to use, you know, so... I'm not the bank when we're looking and going, oh, I can't do the deal, right? You might have something where you, you can't go to that particular bank because they have a policy on that. So we just get another lender who's okay with that policy, right? So I don't like to be submitting a deal and then the lender pulls me up and goes, did you know about this in the back? And I go, well, no, they didn't tell me about it, right? Or we didn't pick it up. Um, so luckily the stuff we do, we haven't detected much fraud ourselves from the stuff we do. I think it's because of the sort of clientele we have. In, uh, property investing clients generally are very good. Clean credit files, they're not going to do anything to, I guess, rock the boat. It's more so, and it's unfortunate, that the first home buyers, they are doing it tough, right? They do what they can to get that loan. They want that house. It's emotional. Or they've gotten the house at 2%, rate mm. 6%. They're struggling. They do not want to sell this house. First time buyers are some of the worst in not disclosing everything, right? Yeah. So they're so desperate to get in, right? That's right. And it's they emotional. Think they can hide everything, but yeah. they can't. You know, open banking is coming. So it means all the banks across the board can see everything. Yeah. Right? So it's even becoming even more harder to hide things, right? So. Yeah. My my my, my um view on this and, and my recommendations is, if you want to invest in property, resi commercial, it doesn't matter. Tell your broker absolutely everything. Give, give them warts and all because um, if baseline fundamentally there is a way to do the deal, a broker will find a deal. And if certain parts of your equation don't suit certain lenders, one of the reasons why you go to a mortgage broker is because it's their job to find someone that it suits. Um, and, and on the policy side is where it can get really specific. Like uh, I know some lenders won't allow lending to – a company to a company to a trust or somewhere other, you know, it's like they're very specific about it. Whereas some lenders are okay with it if you're investing in trust structures. So just tell your broker how you're going to do it, and and they should, if they're a good broker, find a way or give you the right advice, saying it's not right for you now. Go and do this, this, this. Clean up your structure. Do this, do that, do that. Maybe sell some places. Yeah, get some debt. Consolidate your debt. Get rid of credit cards. Stop spending, you know thousand dollars a month on McDonald's, you know, all this sort of stuff, right? Like your broker can it's, help you with this stuff. That's right. And, and I always say policy is key, mm. right? The biggest thing we see is a client's comes to us, oh, you know, my broker can't get me more money. As I like, who they use? And they, you know, major bank. Well, you know, they got 3% assessment, right? I got a lender will do 2%, right? So I know already I can do more, you know, uh, do you have commission bonus? Yeah. The, well, the major banks only take 80% of it. Yeah, I'll take 100. Take 100. Right, so there's all these little bits and pieces, and I can extend that cash out, right? That equity release, and you know the, the smart investors they know, right, that they want this equity because they know they can use it for resi, commercial shares, run their business, whatever they want, right? So that's the key. We do a lot of it because a lot of brokers just don't know which 
lender to use. And that's the job of a good mortgage broker. And, and no doubt when you start speaking to someone, they'll tell you ABCDFG, you already think which lender is going to be right for that. You know, and, and you don't need to put into a fancy software program. Like the, the credit happens organically within the mind of the broker. Then they'll go away and stress this and, and get it plugged in. Yeah. Um, a good broker would like, so when I do my phone calls, I just ask quickly, you know, so what do you earn? This, this, mm-hmm. this, this. And I kind of envision debt loads, income would be like, okay, I know where to kind of already take you. Um, I will double check it all, right? But, you know, you ask a lot of questions, yeah. you know, because policy is key. And, and a broker wants a lot. Sorry, uh, Scott. The broker wants to get the deal lodged because brokers, again, it's a bit sort of technical, but brokers are assessed by the banks on the quality of the deals that they take to them. So if you're taking a whole bunch of deals to banks and they keep saying no, they're going to go, oh, you know, Son doesn't know what he's doing. We're not doing any more business with him. But if they know you're on the phone and the fact that you're the integrity and the rigor that you've gone through in packaging up this deal, the likelihood of it happening is very, very high. And this is a mindset thing, but people think banks want to say no. You need to assume that banks want to say yes, but they need to justify why they're saying yes rather than starting at no money from the banks because banks want to lend money because that's how banks make money. Oh, like that's a good point, you know. I remember this deal I did uh, a couple months ago. It, we went to another broker and couldn't do it. The broker wanted to take this client to a non-bank and charge them like you know eight percent. I looked at it. I go, man, you got net, you got a you got a loss, right? And you're financially self-employed. But we dug into it, find out why it was a loss, and we go, we can actually make this work, right? So we spoke to the banker. We talked about why it was in a loss, right? And long story short, we could make it work. We got it approved, right? So. It's delving into the financials of the client, really understanding your client, know your client. And at the end of the day, credit is a human being, right? And they do know the brokers in terms of they don't know who you are, but they see your deal and they go, oh, son, he's a crap broker, right? Like I'm always questioning his submission because submission's got holes. This is not clear, you know, so they know and then they give you a hard time as a broker. And then you're just like, oh man, this lender's too difficult. But no, it's because your submission's not very good. But the deals that we send through, if they are good, I think sometimes credit officers, yeah, I like this deal. I'll, I'll tick it off, right? Even And they give us a lot of exceptions, right? So this is why we love commercial. It's not black and white. You can do deals as long as it makes sense. It's got to make sense. And you need lenders who ask the question and are comfortable with it. And yeah, to that point, it's like when you're a kid at school, right? Like everyone hands in their essay and they go, like, there's a pile of essays. The teacher's got a mark on a Sunday night, not wanting to do it, right? And they sit there and go... Oh, God, I knew oh, this guy. Like, he's, I've seen him all year. He's been a nuisance in class. You know, um, his, his homework's always late, whatever. They're going to be picking up that essay with a bad a bad frame of mind. Then they see, oh, Phil Tarrant, he's a smart, erudite guy. He's well-considered. He's polite and kind all the time. This is going to be positive. Let, let, me, let me work out why not to give him an A+, plus, right, rather than Scott, on the other hand, I'm going to start this guy at a D, and he's got to work hard to show me how I can get him up to a B+. Same thing applies in, in in credit assessment. It comes down to the integrity of the broker and how good how good their ability to package a deal. If you try and invest in commercial property direct with a bank, yeah, it's a very very different proposition. You're probably going to get more no's than yeses, Scott. Yeah. Uh, and one of the reasons I've seen Son's team work so well, this is something I really like. What they do, Son will put like he's a he's a whiteboard kind of guy. So in his office, he's putting scenarios down on uh, on the board, and and he gets the team to say how do we fix this problem? What's the solution? And everyone has their different ideas and they discuss it and they challenge it. So all the teams trained to think, 
like that problem solving way. Cause like Son said, there's a million different ways to cut a deal and it's not just off an assembly line, like residential, like where you just make it or you don't. So that collaboration, um, just creates a bit more of that entrepreneurial type, uh, lending and, um, you know, like his whole teams thinks this way and, and they have to be with commercial. It's more complicated. And, uh, that, that's why our, our guys tend to always get the loans that they go for because there's always a bank. Well, it's a good way to build, it's a good way to build the the business and and you sort of mentioned growth and I guess that process, which, you know, there's a team called red, it's called red teaming, right? You say, Hey, here's my solution. I want you to pick holes through it uh, without bias or agenda other than trying to get the best outcome. So a good broker needs to be able to sit there and, and take that criticism where someone will try and pick it apart. You want to be doing that prior to it going to a lender um, with them going, what about this? What about this? So it's going to help you put in a more complete and robust and rigorous package where, you know, lenders want to lend money and they want to approve lending as quickly as possible because the more time that there's hands, human hands on that file, the less money everyone makes from it. So That's right. they, they want do to want to do deals. Through. People think that they don't want to do deals. If, maybe if you speak to the wrong bank or the wrong credit officer, yeah. maybe. But you find that, yeah, and this is why we, we've kind of picked who we want to deal with at the banks as well. Yeah. So we've had... Do you do much stuff through private? Like, have you got a good relationship with private lenders um, and all that sort of we, stuff? We don't have really used private much. Okay. Most of the stuff we do, we've been able to avoid private. Mm. Uh, private's very expensive. Yeah. Um, but most of the stuff we've been able to do with the rethink team. So private is what you pay more through private bank? Yeah, more yeah. expensive, yeah. Rates Just are well, rates are higher. Rates are high, establishment fees are high, everything's high. Why, why is rates higher? Because it's the risk. Yeah, okay. They're literally not assessing anything. It's it's all asset based. Okay. So we hold an asset, low LVR, yeah, we'll take it. Yeah. Force but if you go in, for, if you asset. go in full doc via private, you should be able to get competitive. Um. Yeah. There is no full doc. Like mm. they just look at the asset, the LVR is right. Here you go. Yeah. yeah they don't even do credit check. Which can be an enabler mm. if you want to go down that pathway. So so what's going to happen with rethink financing? So you happy whether it is, or you're sitting there sweating at night, going more, more, more. I need better brokers. <laughs> I need more time. I need it's it's. Uh, we, I need more clients coming through from Scott. He's not pulling his weight. <laughs> well, no, we've we've got lots of clients. I guess um, you know we we want to get out there and help our clients, right? What we're seeing is there's a deficiency in broker knowledge out there, right? Um, you know, it's it's easy to become a broker these days, right? You don't have to do much in terms of a course, but you know experience is a big one right so you know we we do a lot of commercial yes but there is a big portion of the market resi as well which we do we do see we want to do more of because it's the same conversation we see that you know um people come to us their broker can't do it they've got a big resi portfolio how are we going to restructure it fix it refinance whatever it may be to get what we need to do the next bit right and that's what excites me because i'm helping the client get to that next part of that map or puzzle goal that they want, right? So there's a big push next year for us um, to bring on more people, right? There's enough. Internally, the team. Internally, the team, yeah. more, more brokers, maybe some more credit analysts so we can get decision, make a decision, a quick to decision uh, in a shorter time. Um, so, you know, right now at the moment, I'm a bit busy trying to service everybody, look at everything. So, you know, I'll get someone to just look at that side for me. Mm. So we can quickly come back to you, you know, with, with a result. So if your broker says to you, I've looked at all this, Phil, I got it sorted, don't worry about it. I'm going to get this in and I reckon we can get a pre-approval, no worries at all. That typically takes place? Uh, well, I'm, I'm a bit of a control freak. Yeah. I'd be like, you wouldn't say them? that yet. Who no. are you using? Why yeah. are you using them? Because yeah. I always ask the why. 
Mm. Right. Cause I want to understand why, like you get so many different personalities in brokers. Some will prefer a different lender over a different lender. And I say, well, so why are you going there? Why are you going over here? What's the reasons? And I'll challenge them. Right. But with my senior guys, like they know what they're doing. Just let them go do it, you know, but the newer guys hold their hand because I want to make sure they're doing it the rethink way. What right. is the rethink way? <laughs> the rethink way is um, – Here we go. Put him on the spot here. See if he's, reading, see if he's been reading the manuals, Scott. Here, but what is nah, the rethink nah, so, way? So, you know, I've been thinking about it because we have a value proposition, right, for our clients. You know, they say a good broker will save you five grand. We think a better broker will, will make you a hundred grand, right? And that's with the help of the rethink investing team, right? So, you know, being able to leverage – Find good quality assets. That's where you're going to make your money. So I want to be the guy, or you know, rethinks the team to get you that funding to help you buy that asset. So, so on the top list of the top five things that you need if you're investing in commercial property by way of financing, I reckon the interest rate's probably not number one or two. It's up there. This is the point around like save money. I think it's more about getting a deal done first. So right policy, right lender for right purpose, and then I would say interest rate. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, interest rate does play a part. It depends. Like, their interest rate's 20%. It ain't going to work. But, you know, if it's only 1%, 2% more, you know, with these non-banks per se, they got really, really crazy servicing, it could work, right? Yes, you're going to be negatively geared, maybe 10, 20 grand in the hole each year. It is a tax deduction. But if it's going to, you know, make you – you know, 100, 200 grand a year, mate, you want it. And then it comes back then the relationship between the finance and the asset that you're buying. You know, the best finance in the world, but the asset's a dud. It's not going to grow and you're a negative equity on it or negative cash flow, probably not worth doing a deal. And the tricks we've been doing lately is we might use a non-bank to purchase because if you use a major, you've got to do 3%. doesn't work. Use a non-bank, pay the 8% and then refinance in 12 months' time under a 1% policy. So you Okay, I know what you're talking about, but some people might not. So you're talking about 3% and 1%. You're talking about buffers, okay, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah, so how it works is base rate, call it 6%. Uh, the major banks will load it by 3%, so assess you at 9%. Right? Uh, under a refinance policy, they're saying we'll only buffer it by 1%. So if the base rate is 6%, they'll only assess you at 7%. And that's just the commercial and resi? Uh, that's resi. Resi. Commercial's different. Yeah. Like yeah. Commercial's already it's no already buffering base. or low buffering, you know, et cetera. So... Commercials are already very generous. Mm. And most lenders now at a resi level, if you're refinancing an established debt with someone else or you're refinancing it internally to extract equity, they're only putting a 1% buffer on it. If you extract equity, it's not counted. It's only for dollar for dollar refinance. Some majors are allowing a slight top up. Okay. But if you're doing cash out, they won't do 1%. Okay. They still chuck a buffer of three on it. So yeah. like for like, if you want to refinance your deals or something, if you're coming off a fixed rate onto a variable and you want to move lenders, <clears throat> they'll just put 1%. Yeah. So that's where that's helping a lot. A lot of clients coming yeah. off fixed rates and, you know, you can't service it on a six plus three, right? So the one is helping. But those clients that are That's very, a whole mortgage prison thing which yeah, yeah, they've got. they've been talking yeah. about. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's interesting because, yeah, the ones we can help, we try to help. The ones that can't, you're probably looking at offloading. How many people, and I'll conclude with this and it's getting a bit resy, but, you know, everyone talks about distressed sales at the moment. Um, distressed sales increasing, cost of living, people have to to offload um, 
properties, et cetera. How distressed are you seeing, like just your sort of ground truth, are you seeing a lot of people redlining, unable to make or meet their mortgage repayments at the moment? Not really. No. So we deal with investors. They've, they've got assets. I have filtered a couple of calls who are saying, yeah, when it comes off, I'll probably look to sell because, you know, it's gone from IO to P&I from a fixed rate variable. It's like gone up four times, right? So a couple of them, but those ones are okay because they've got assets to sell, right? But it goes back to that data, right? That the the banks and RBA say, you know, Australians have more money than they have pre-COVID. So, so you know, what you hear in, in the newspapers and media, yeah, there are people that are, you know, you know struggling. Um, but from what we see, uh, we haven't really seen it. If anything, I'm doing more purchases now than I'm doing refinances. Yeah. Uh, and I think the people who are probably struggling is that they've had, they, they probably took on too much debt and bought a house maybe beyond their means under normalized interest rates back when, when interest rates were, were much lower. But what they didn't do is that they didn't pay their mortgage at a rate of what it would be under six or 7% mortgages and chuck that in offsets. What they've done is that they use that extra cash flow to, to for discretionary spending, so they've been living, they've been they've they've lifted their their water their, their baseline of how they're going to live their life based on all that extra cash, and now they've either got to stop spending that, but they keep spending it, and their mortgage has gone up, and they're in trouble. So, when times are good, build your buffers is the key thing. No doubt, mortgage brokers will tell you that. Don't spend all that extra money. Put it somewhere for a rainy day. And there's a good reason why people are say save your money for a rainy day. I'd hate to see Scott's bank balance. <laughs> moving back into where we started yeah. oh, <laughs> sorry mate knows there's, it, but, uh, there's mate. probably not much there you probably got it all parked away and probably somewhere and buying the next Kentucky fried oh, chicken whenever, whenever he builds oh, yeah. it up he's like oh, I want another one well man <laughs> well, it was a six month process last time I don't really want oh, to man. deal with that again you doing anything moment finance wise personally um, always doing something we're looking at um, uh Early days, but setting up a couple of funds um, just because there's a lot of um, investors that can't get into the market. So I'm like syndication stuff. Yeah, we've done yeah. it before. Um, we've done a couple of them, but that was like four or five years ago. So mm. and they went well. So maybe put a bit into that. Um, Is this a new rethink something? Uh, we haven't maybe. decided okay. yet. All right. Yeah, Sorry, I'm dropping a gun. <laughs> just uh, curious. So so there's other stuff happening. Yeah. Look. Yeah. yeah just keeping some um, powder dry. But yeah. Look. I, I think if I am to buy again, and I only ever decide like once I've got a property in front of me, um, I really want to get in before the talk of the interest rates dropping happens. Because by the it's like the share market. As soon as you talk about a takeover, it's priced in before the takeover happens. So you want to get in before the market prices any fluctuations. So on, how long have you got? Nine months? Um, it's just the, the golden guess at the moment. But yeah, look, Based on what the banks are all predicting, averaging out like sometime in the next twelve months. Um, so yeah, if you're smart about it, probably in the next six months. And there's more stock on the market too. Like the deals are good, and and that's how I always decide. I just need a good deal to get out of bed to deal with all that stuff with Son. Um, but has it got yeah. to a point though? And and Resi, you know, Resi investors always like I know, and I'm one of them. You've been one of them as well. You just go, I just don't want to deal with it. Don't want to deal with any more properties. I'm just done with it. And it's got to say, you just go, you surf, you know, where you just sit there and go, I'm only going out if it's really, really good, if it's a bit, 
you know, side shore, on shore, oh, there's blue bottles in the water. Yeah, I'm not going to go today. You know, it, the juice has to be worth the squeeze, right? You know, and yeah. the same thing would apply, I imagine, with commercial investing. Yeah, look, residential, I look at it as it's a small cost center. You know, you get a little bit of rent from a little property. Is it worth dealing with the manager and the loan on it and all that kind of stuff? And, and the answer is no when you deal with bigger commercial properties. But yeah, I, I definitely think residential is where you start. But And it's actually a common conversation I've got with my clients. Like they come and bring a big port, like their spreadsheet together with us. And and they say, Scott, what do I sell? You know, because they, they, they want to declutter the portfolio. And um, it's an interesting conversation because it's not the best time to sell. But maybe it is because it's better to buy and sell in a low market than a high market because it's less selling costs and transaction costs. Um, but yeah, like it's all about sort of... Um, I guess, making the best portfolio. And, and that's, like I've said it many times, we want to, you know, declutter it and um, less properties are sometimes more. And uh, yeah, it's all about sort of just getting a good good deal before that market kind of lifts off again. And without sounding too positive, I, I think the minute those rates drop, whenever that is, like with all that cash on the sidelines, Song keeps mentioning with the data, yeah. it will it will get deployed. It'll get deployed. And, and the point I think you're making there is, don't wait for an opportunity to present itself to get your portfolio fighting fit and decluttered. And I remember having a chat when you launched, uh, we relaunched your book. It was around, oh, yeah, we, we, we had to sort out our own portfolio. It got a bit un, un, unruly and, you know, we had to really work hard on getting it tight again. So I'd be doing that now. So, you know, for, for everyone. So I'm doing it. I'm in the process of it right now and nearly at the end of a whole sort of refinancing and, and freeing up some cash and all that sort of stuff. Um, um, so when it's time, you don't have to do that bit yep. to get that nice to help your financing side of things so you can strike when, yeah. when you can. And we're a big believer of selling properties too. Mm. You know, like, again, that's something I could admit. I changed my psychology behind investing years ago now. Like it used to be just buy and hold blindly forever. But having an, an underperforming asset, even for three years, is just such a silly decision. Like that's just been stubborn. And there's really good assets, especially like you think about yourself on your own personal investment journey. You've learned you're a much better investor now than you were five years ago. So use that extra skill to sell the stuff that made the, you know, passed the test back then. And now you can get it into that next level quality and you've got more wealth behind you. You've got, you know, potential more lending options and, and maybe a better, even better market to buy into. Um, so sell off the stuff that did, it's done its run. Um, there's going to be costs. I've sold properties at a loss um, because I've been trying to get something um, and I sold out early just because it was a next level asset. Um, so they're hard conversations and no one really gives you advice on it. And we're not going to give advice, but we can happily give opinions to say, look, if I was in your shoes, you know, you've got six houses in Southeast Queensland, like maybe get rid of one this year in this tax financial year and get that 200 grand out and then maybe combine it with the equity from that property. And then you've got 600K equity to buy a 1.5 mil asset somewhere else. You know, all of a sudden you've reversed your cash flow equation by 50 grand, you know, by making two or three moves. Yeah. It's not too bad. Accountant can help you with that. Or a financial planner song, which you don't do anymore. When, when do you rethink financial planning starting up? Oh, we don't God, know I'm yet. asking too many questions. <laughs> that might be a podcast oh, down the yeah, track. Okay, all right. Sorry, I'm jumping the gun again. I'm just, uh, just yeah, anyway. But, but it's, everything's interconnected mm. is the point. It is. Good broker, good buyer's agent. Good team builder. Good accountant, good mm. lawyer, good financial advisor, good team. Um, what do people do if they want to chat to you? Is it too too soon to do stuff before Chrissy's song? 
Uh, personally, I'm going on leave for no way. <laughs> two weeks no. for the rest of the year. So you can reach out to our team. Yeah. So if they just uh, send us an email, inquiries at rethinkfinancing.com.au, um, the team will jump on it and um, give them a call and just suss out there. Yeah, never actually never stops working. I bet yeah. you don't. Yeah, I'm just working in a different place. You're on so. a cruise coming up, so I know the, the internet's good. Yeah. You'll be all over it. You can always so you're on a cruise. Where are you off to? Uh, I think I'm going to cruise in January, so we'll probably most likely do it. It's a short one, so either Queensland or south. So we'll Okay. Yeah. You're going to do one of those three-day cruises of the Morton Island or something like that? No, nah, not three yeah, days. We like cruising, so we'll yeah. go a lot longer. Okay. Yeah, Disney <laughs> Cruise is in town at the moment. Oh, I've just seen this. Yeah. <laughs> Not worth it. We, we spoke about that and I went, oh, I'm not doing that. You yeah, know. Doing There's that. a thousand shows. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. too many kids. Can't handle it. Yeah. Nah, <laughs> it's good fun cruising. But um, rethinkfinancing.com.au and or rethinkinvesting.com.au. Either or, depending which way you're going to go. Check it out. Um, you're on the social media. Was it Rethink Investing, Scott? Yes. Just Google Rethink Investing. It's everything. That, that's the easiest. That's where yep. you need to go. All right. Well, yep. thanks, Jen. Thanks for coming in. Thanks. Uh, I know I've taken a, an hour of your time. You probably would have got two or three deals set during that. So uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll see how many phone calls you know, got. See how many phone calls you got. But um, that's good. Uh, remember to go and check out. This is episode 43 of uh, Inside Commercial Property with Rethink Investing. Scott O'Neill is a director over at Rethink. Um, binge, Mo, binge these episodes over the Christmas period. Come back fighting fit from the New Year's itching to get in the property investing. And if Scott is right, and I don't have an opinion, I'm but a someone that sits in the middle of communication as a journalist, but Scott reckons that um, there's this window of um, probably the coming 12 months before rates start coming down when if you're ready and you're right and you've got the right financing and you're thinking about it differently, 105% for some banks ain't bad going. If you can service the debt, I'd go and check it out and have a look at it. That's not advice. It's just uh, some musings from my side. Uh, I'm Phil Tarrant. I'm uh, the Director of Financial Services and Real Estate Momentum Media. Thanks for joining us for Inside Commercial Property. See you again next time. Until then, bye-bye.